As for our sermon this morning, it's kind of a big day, as we will be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 through 24, or the final four verses of this book. We started our study of Ephesians back on January 5th of this year, and nearly nine months later, here we are finishing it up. Now, I don't expect you to remember this, but back in January, my reason for prayerfully selecting the book of Ephesians was because I wanted us as members of Faith Bible Fellowship Church to comprehend more fully what it means to have our identity in Christ. Meaning, I wanted us to initially grasp who we once were outside of Jesus Christ. I wanted us to grasp that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1. Next, I wanted us to grasp that we have only been saved, Ephesians 2.8, by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that Jesus Christ is our peace. Ephesians 2.14, because he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, meaning he took Jew and he took Gentile and he made them one in Christ. Therefore, God can certainly now take Democrats and Republicans and make them one in Christ. He can take baby boomers and he can take millennials and make them one in Christ. He can take mask wearers and he can take mask haters and make them one in Christ. And it is here then through Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known, Ephesians 3.10. Thus, church, because of our unity in the faith and our knowledge of the Son of God, we, the Christians who make up Faith Bible Fellowship Church, we will naturally then love each other because we are citizens together in God's kingdom, we are members together in God's family, and we are stones together in God's temple. Therefore, if you want to walk away this morning holding onto the premise of the book of Ephesians, walk away with this, that as Christians saved by grace, we all have the same identity, and our identity is now in Christ. And since our identity is now in Christ, we as Christians, we are united with Christ, and we are united with each other. Amen? Amen which takes us to our thesis today, which is this. Christian, with your identity now in Christ, your life and your relationships with each other will be marked by peace, love, faith, and grace. Christian, with your identity now in Christ, your life and your relationships with each other will be marked by peace, love, faith, and grace. Our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 through 24. Let me highly recommend you open your Bibles up this morning and let follow along in God's Word. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 through 24. The Apostle Paul, he writes, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for Jesus Christ and his redemptive work on the cross. We thank you that as a church body, we can gather here today and worship you as one body. Father, it is an honor that we can come together and sing hymns and spiritual songs to each other, building each other up in the faith, and then above all else, glorifying you, the one who saved us. Father, we thank you for your grace to get through, to preach through, to learn and to absorb this book of Ephesians, and I pray we finish this race well today. Father, I pray that you open the eyes and the ears of this dear congregation, soften their hearts to receive your word. And Father, I pray for help this morning. Give me the words that I can speak your truth to this dear flock, I pray. Let me do it in a bold and humble and loving manner. And through the truth that you reveal, let us walk out today, walk out of here today, loving you more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we get to our two points this morning, I wanted to first offer some context or some background here because we're introduced to an individual that we have not heard about yet. Paul writes in verses 21 and 22, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And you may be sitting there this morning thinking, huh, who is this Tychicus? And why is Paul only bringing him up now? Well, most scholars agree that Tychicus is likely the man who delivered this letter to the church in Ephesus. Now, why did Paul send Tychicus to deliver this letter? Well, remember, Paul was on house arrest at the time of writing this letter. So if he wanted this letter to be delivered, it wasn't going to be him doing the delivering. Furthermore, upon receiving a letter from Paul, the man who started this church in Ephesus, the Christians who make up this church, they likely are going to have a lot of questions about how Paul is doing. And for that reason, Paul sends Tychicus, verse 21, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. In short, Paul sends Tychicus to give the readers a report or an update on how he is doing. And this is possible for Tychicus to do because there is an obvious level of trust and intimacy between the two, as Paul calls Tychicus in verse 21, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. But that is not the only reason why Paul sends him to Ephesus to deliver this letter. Paul also sent Tychicus, verse 22, to encourage their hearts. And this just speaks to the pastoral concern of Paul. 
a man who was in prison and who just wrote an entire letter to this church encouraging them in their identity in Christ and their unity toward each other. But as the cherry on top, Paul also sends to them one of his beloved brothers, Tychicus, so that he can encourage them in person in their faith. Therefore, if you walk away from this letter thinking that we as Christians aren't called to encourage one another in the faith consistently, then I have failed you as your pastor. Paul put it this way earlier in Ephesians. He said, the words that come out of your mouths, they should only be that which is good for building each other up. Oh, that we replicate the servant's heart of Paul here and be eager as a church family to encourage one another and build each other up. Which brings us now to point number one. Christian, with your identity now in Christ, abide in peace and love. Christian, with your identity now in Christ, abide in peace and love and love. Ephesians 6.23, it says, Peace be to the brothers and loved with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul opens his salutation here much in the same way he opened his letter back in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 2, which reads, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Whereas here he writes, peace be to the brothers. Or as the KJV puts it, peace be to the brethren. You see, Paul wants all the brothers in Christ. He wants all the sisters in Christ. He wants everybody within the body of Christ to experience the blessing of peace in their lives. Now, this shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone, as this concept of peace, it has been a major theme throughout the book of Ephesians. Paul wrote in chapter 2 that Christ preached peace to you who were far off, the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, the Jews, and that through both they now have access to the Father, or they have peace now with the Father. And peace with the Father, it naturally then leads to a life at being, being at peace with other believers. Ephesians 4.3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Hence, Paul wants all Christians who have peace with God, also, as John Calvin wrote, to be peaceable with each other. And how is this peace achieved? How can we be peaceable with each other as the body of Christ? Verse 23, it says, love with faith. Love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In essence, Paul's saying, you Christians want to be peaceable toward each other and not cold. You Christians, you want to be gentle toward each other and not mean. You Christians want to be neighborly toward each other and not unfriendly. Then love with faith. Now notice the unique relationship here between love and faith. Paul isn't pointing to or highlighting two separate wishes here, love and faith. Instead, he says, love with faith. Paul's desire or his wish is that his readers, that their love be united with their faith or that they love through their faith. And what exactly does that mean? To paraphrase Harold Honer, 
Love here not only assumes faith in the gospel, but love must also be enlightened by, it must be cultivated by, it must be advanced by the knowledge that faith in the gospel gives in understanding God's love toward the believer. In short, our love, it must come from, it must be grounded in, and based on our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if that is the case, it is impossible then for our love to be a selfish love, or a love based on how special we think someone is, or a love focused on what we can get out of a relationship. Instead, our love for each other, it will naturally mirror the way in which Jesus Christ has loved us. Therefore, our love for each other, it is a sacrificial love. It's a genuine love. It's a seeking the good of others without expecting anything in return type of love. This is what Paul means when he says love with faith. Now, what exactly does that look like? Donald Barnhouse illustrated it this way. He said, a disabled girl was living in the slums and she had the opportunity to undergo an operation in order that she might be able to walk again. When the operation was over, though, she needed a blood transfusion. Her 14-year-old brother, who was considered a tough guy on the streets, volunteered. Thus, he was taken to the hospital and to the bedside of his sister. He stared off, tight-lipped in silence, while the vein in his arm was opened so that his blood might flow and be given to the body of his unconscious sister. When it was over, the doctor put his hand on the boy's shoulder and told him that he was very brave. But the boy did not comprehend. He had not understood the nature of a transfusion. After a moment, he looked up and said, Hey, Doc, how long will it be before I die? As far as the boy was concerned, he had been slowly dying willingly watching his blood flow out of his body, expecting his sister's life to mean the death of his own. There indeed is Christian love. If love is to be seen in its highest degree, it will be through the word of Christ who said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Church, Paul wants his readers to grasp here the love that Christ has for them, and that as their faith in the gospel is strengthened and deepened and enhanced, their love for each other then, it should just explode due to the realization, the trust, and the confidence that the Christian has in the fact that Christ sacrificially saved them and loved them first. Thus, if you are sitting here this morning wondering, why am I always so upset with the people at this church? Or why do I get so frustrated with people at this church? Or why am I not peaceable toward my brothers and sisters in Christ at this church? If that is you this morning, Christian, then take yourself to the gospel of Jesus Christ and remind every essence, every fiber, and every ounce of your being that Christ was delivered over to death for your trespasses and was raised to life for your justification. Simply contemplate, Christian, the fact that Jesus Christ died as a sacrifice, atoning for the sins and wickedness of his enemies. And I am talking about your sins and your 
their wickedness, Christian. And why did he do that? Because he loved them. Jesus Christ, he loved you first, Christian. Thus, because of our common faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ and our common experience of being loved unconditionally by Jesus Christ, how can we not naturally and instinctively and jointly commonly love each other in the likeness of Jesus Christ? Jesus said this in John 13, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Thus, if our love is united with our faith, here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church, grace, it will abound. Peace, it will abound. Therefore, I pray, church, that our love be united with our common faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ and that peace may abound within this community of beloved believers. Which takes us to point number two. Christian, lover of Jesus Christ, receive the grace of God in every aspect of your life. Christian, lover of Jesus Christ, receive the grace of God in every aspect of your life. Verse 24. It says, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Paul closes this glorious letter with a benediction. For grace for all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Now that is a unique phrase, and really it's a unique request. And I say that because thus far in the book of Ephesians, the focus concerning love has really been on two main themes. Theme number one, for the readers of Ephesians to know the love that God has for them. As God's children, Ephesians 2, 4, that God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us. And theme number two, how we as Christians are to love each other, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, Ephesians 4, 2. However, as Tony Merida pointed out, Paul's focus here in verse 24 is something that he has not really explicitly focused on in his letter, namely the reader's love for Christ. So what Paul's getting at here in his benediction is that he is praying for, he's desiring for, for grace for those who love the Lord with love incorruptible. For grace for those who love the Lord genuinely. For grace for those who love the Lord unfailingly. For grace for those who love the Lord sincerely. Thus I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this question this morning, church. Do you love Christ? Do you love Jesus Christ? And do you love Jesus Christ with a love that is incorruptible, a love that is constant, a love that is never failing, and a love that is sincere? Because here is the thing. If you do not love Christ, then it is obvious you have not been forgiven. If you do not love Christ, then it's obvious that you've not been redeemed, you have not been justified, and you've not been born again. 
If you do not love Christ, then there is no sanctifying grace in your life, no grace to help you run from temptations, no grace to help you boldly face trials, no grace to help you grow in Christ's likeness. If you do not love Christ, then there is absolutely no hope of being raised with Christ, seated with Christ, and eternally glorified with Christ. Thus, because of those bleak ramifications, I must press you on this question this morning, church. Do you love Christ? Do you treasure Christ more than all the riches of the world? Do you respect Christ more than all the powers of our government? Are you infatuated with Christ more than your social media accounts? Do you adore Christ more than your own comfort? Do you worship Christ more, more than your own preferences and desires and choices and self? Is Christ really, 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 not just something you say, but is Christ really the ultimate object of your love? Because if one does not love Christ, not only is there no salvation, not only is there no forgiveness of sins, not only is there no redemption or sanctification or grace needed to stand in the Lord in the midst of trials and temptations and hardships, but as 1 Corinthians 16 says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Let him be anathemum, condemned, devoted to destruction. And you may be sitting there thinking, man, that seems a bit rough. I mean, I know I'm not perfect, but I try to do nice things. I mean, I give money to the poor when I see them on the street. I open doors for people when I go into Walmart. It's not like I'm some bad guy who robs banks and kills people. I mean, those are the people who should be devoted to destruction, right? Not a decent person like me. Again, Donald Barnhouse illustrates the fallacy of that thought this way. He said, imagine a plane goes down in the middle of the ocean. There are no planes, no ships, no land within a thousand miles, and three people are cast into the sea. One is able to swim only a few hundred feet. Another can manage to stay afloat for an hour or two. And the third is a world champion long distance swimmer. Now, would it be sensible for the world champion swimmer to show the others his best swimming strokes? Should the champion swimmer say, follow my lead? No, these men do not need an example. They need a savior. Because either way, one will drown in 20 minutes, one will drown in two hours, and another would drown in 15 hours. Thus it is with mankind. No matter how decent they think they are, they all need a savior. Sure, the convict is like a man who could only swim a few strokes. The decent man is like one who could swim for an hour or two. And the very, very respectable man is like the one who could swim 15 hours. And yet all three are doomed to die under the circumstances set forth. So it is with all men before the judgment of God. Even the very best that a man can do in deeds in darkness and in kindness and in charity does not change the unalterable fact that his character and his works will leave him devoted to destruction forever. The only thing that will satisfy a holy God is for man to take sides with him. Accept the shedding of Jesus' blood for the remission of their sins and cross the chasm through Christ in order to stand with God, naturally then loving him forever with a love 
that is incorruptible. Church, do you love Christ? And I keep asking that question because your answer to it, it will impact every belief, every thought, every desire, every action, every deed in your life, now and forever and ever and ever. There is no more meaningful answer that you will ever give. And I say that because those who love Christ, not only do they display that they have received the grace needed to have faith in Jesus Christ, but those who love Christ, they also continually then receive the grace in which Paul so deeply desires for his readers here, which is the grace needed so that we as Christians can walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. It is the grace needed so that we as Christians can be imitators of God. It is the grace needed so that we as Christian husbands can love our wives as Christ loved the church. It is the grace needed so that we as Christians can show no partiality in who we love, who we serve, and who we care for. It is the grace needed that when trials and temptations and persecution comes knocking at our door, we can take up the whole armor of God so we may be able to withstand in the evil day. And this is Paul's desire for his readers here and what really the whole book of Ephesians is all about. As Thomas Constable put it, God God has powerfully equipped the church to experience the blessings of Christ by creating a new community that is able to honor God and resist the evil forces of the devil. Thus, although the church will be raised with Christ and seated with him in heavenly citizenship, currently they represent him as light on earth, and by God's grace they are fully enabled for that task. That is you, Christian, and don't you ever ever forget that, that you have received the grace needed to be redeemed by Christ, born again in Christ, and are new creations in Christ, that you are receiving the sanctifying grace needed to display the light of Christ as part of the body of Christ and resist the evil schemes of the devil by relying on the armor of Christ. And your reward, Christian, by God's grace, you will be raised with Christ, seated with Christ, and given every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. Thus, let anyone on this side of eternity ask you, Christian, do you love Christ? And oh, that you be granted the grace needed to courageously let your thoughts, your minds, your words, and your deeds cry out, yes, I love Jesus Christ with a love that is unfading, never-ending, and incorruptible. As we close this morning, church, I'll begin with the non-Christian who is here today. Non-Christian, for those who love Christ, the reality is peace with God and peace with each other. It is love for God and love for each other. It is grace from God and grace toward each other and eternal life. John 3, 36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life because the wrath of God remains on him. Non-Christian, it comes down to this. If you do not obey the Son, 
if you do not love the Son, if you do not have faith in the Son, Jesus Christ, the wrath of God remains on you. Thus, let today be the day that you put your faith in the Son, that you trust in the Son, and that you love the Son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world to save sinners by humbling himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Did you catch that? Jesus Christ, God himself, he humbled himself and took on human flesh and lived among us, was tempted by sin just like any of us, and yet was perfect and sinless, completely unlike us. And in our place, he was crushed for us meaning Jesus Christ willingly was crucified on a cross and died for the sins of his children. The righteous one, Jesus Christ, dying for the unrighteous. But being that Jesus Christ is God and is perfect and never sin, sin and death, they had no claim over him. They had no power over him. And thus, three days later, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead, triumphantly trampling over sin and death and offering eternal life to those who place their trust in him. Non-Christian, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ did for you. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin, that you turn from your sin, and you trust in Jesus Christ, and Christ alone is the only one who can forgive you of your sin, the only one who can cleanse you of your sin, the only one who paid the price for your sin and can clothe you in his perfect righteousness and reconcile you back to God forever. Non-Christian, let today be the day that you believe in the work of Jesus Christ, that you trust in the accomplishment of Jesus Christ and are saved by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ and walk out of here this morning being able to love your Savior, Jesus Christ, now and through eternity with a love that is incorruptible. Let today be the day, non-Christian, that you place your trust in Jesus Christ. And to the Christian who is here this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, as we conclude this morning and as we conclude this book, I wanted to kind of reflect for a second here on the glories of Ephesians. One of the greatest blessings I have experienced in preaching through Ephesians is how some of you have shared with me how convicted you have been by the very word of God concerning the gifts that God has given you and your desire to use them in order to serve and to love this church body. To which I will say, that brother Christian, that sister Christian, that is the church. We desire to love and to serve each other because Jesus Christ, he loved and served us first. Thus, as we leave here today, Christian, you may be able to walk out of here confidently saying, yes, I love Jesus Christ. I love Christ with every ounce of my being. I love Christ more than my career. I love Christ more than my social standing. I love Christ more than any house, car, paycheck, or idol this world has to offer. And if that is the case, then I praise God with you this morning. But I also then want to lovingly challenge you this morning 
to let your love for Christ shine and how you love those within this body, the church. I want to lovingly challenge you, as Paul wrote, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why? Because there is one body and there's one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body leave here today humbly reminded that at one time we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy made us alive in Christ. It is by grace, Christian, you have been saved. You were not saved because of your good looks or your actions. You were not saved because of your intelligence or your charity. Instead, God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. In love, he predestined you for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. And now through Christ, we are one body, citizens together in God's kingdom, members together in God's family, stones together in God's holy temple. We are one in Christ's church. Thus help us, Lord, to live as the church, as a people who love each other, serve each other, celebrate with each other, weep with each other, and set our preferences aside for the good of each other, all due to our incorruptible love for Jesus Christ. Thus no matter how dark and how goofy and impure the world around us gets, let us never, ever, ever let those evil forces, those evil rulers, those evil authorities in the heavenly places forget that our God reigns as it is through the church the manifold wisdom of God will be made known now and forevermore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, it is so humbling to realize who we were outside of Christ. And for by grace, we have been saved. It is completely the work of you. Thus I pray, Father, that we now walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Father, you have made it very simple for us. Love God and love people. Help us as a church body to grow in the unity of our faith, to help each other bond together, bind together, grow together in our knowledge of the Son of Jesus Christ. Help us as a church body be willing to pour out our love for each other in the way we serve and love them, mirroring the love that we experienced through Jesus Christ. Lord, you have empowered us to do that. You have taken people from all walks of life, from everywhere, and you've brought them here to Faith Bible Fellowship Church to glorify you. Help us to take our call seriously this morning. Help us grow in our love for you with our identity now in you, Christ. And help us grow in our love for each other. In Jesus' name.
Why don't we all stand and close in song this morning? Stricken 